this morning, the time that we spend in 1 Thessalonians is going to help us dig down into the ways that God wants us to grow. Before we get into the letter, let's spend a little time reflecting. Think back over the year that's behind us. You realize it's been almost 12 months since the pandemic became completely disruptive. During that time, how have you seen God changing you? When you look back at who you were and then compare it to where you are now, do you see any changes? Have you changed through the time that we've spent together in this new way of worshiping? Or have you changed because of interactions with other disciples? Or because of your time in scripture reading, has that helped you change? Or through prayer? The world around us has changed massively in this last year. This question is about in here. Have you seen any changes in here? God wants the answer to be yes. And that's what we're going to learn this morning. When God looks at us, each one of us, he wants to see us growing in faith and in the practice of love together and in hope so that we together stand out in this world that needs the light that shines from folks who are being changed by God. Paul's address to the folks in Thessalonica is built on this conviction that when God gathers people together, he means to see them growing in ways that are visible, in ways that change the world around them as they are becoming people who are becoming the gospel. And the question for us this morning is, are we changing? Find the beginning of the fourth chapter in 1 Thessalonians. There's a turn in the letter at this point. We've jumped around a little bit, but mostly we've covered the first three chapters. At the start of the fourth chapter, there's a shift as Paul becomes very practical in his teaching. Okay, let's look at verse one. Finally, brothers and sisters, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you learned from us how you ought to live and to please God, as in fact you are doing, you should do so more and more. Paul is saying, you've been doing great. Now it's time to keep on growing. You received the gift of the gospel with gratitude. That's changed you. You have been working hard at the work of faith and God's used that to show other people his own faithfulness. You've been laboring together to be more loving and God is showing the world through you that he loves everyone. You've been holding on to hope and that has been a bright sign of hope for others which they need well done, Paul says. Now it's time to keep on going. He continues and he makes the point a little finer. Verse two, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now stop there. Whenever you're reading the Bible and you come across the phrase, this is the will of God. It's time for you to pay close attention. This is what God wants for your life. I know many of us have asked, 
if I only knew what God wanted for my life, God, show me what you want. Here's an answer. And the answer here is your sanctification. Circle that word. It's an important word for us to grasp. Sanctification is the process in which you are becoming a different person. That's the simplest way to describe it. As God invites and enables you to change and as you apply yourself to the work of growing, two active subjects, God on the one hand, who is leading and enabling you, but then also you on the other hand, who is actively following, that process is sanctification. In Greek, the word is hagios. It's usually translated holiness. And so when you see that word in the Bible or this one, it's the same word in Greek. Hagios in Greek is a noun that denotes an action. This is really important. It does not refer to a state of being which you achieve once and for all, and then you are hagios. That's not how it works. It refers to a dynamic process, a pattern of living that results in your standing out. Holy literally means set apart, not physically, but qualitatively. Distinct from your surroundings in purity, goodness, and character. My guess is that if you think about it, you've encountered someone who tends to stand out amongst all of the people around them in that way. Maybe it's at work or at school, in your family, or amongst your friends. Now this, according to Paul, is what God wants for you, that you should stand out like that. Now this is important. Paul did not come up with this idea on his own. It's not his idea. It came from Jesus, because this is how Jesus taught his disciples. Notice again, look at the beginning of verse two. He says, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Now, Paul's reminding them of something that we don't have. When Paul was with them, he taught them about Jesus. And what he told them is anyone who wants to follow Jesus should get ready to be changed and be changing by God. Uh, Try to imagine you're hearing this, okay? Anyone who wants to be my disciple will have to deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. Do you know who said that? Jesus said that to a group of potential followers, people who had come along and seen what he had. They could see it with their spiritual sight, that there was something he had that they wanted. And what he told them is, if you want to come along, you can. But to do so, you have to learn to deny yourself and take up your cross and come along with me. Now that cross is an image of self-denial for the sake of obedience in a way that will make you stand out. Jesus taught that if you want to come along with me, you have to have a handle on your impulses so that you no longer are a person who's constantly reactive, but rather you can become someone who's proactive. You, You have to learn to say no to the old way that you used to be last year so that in this year you can become a new person in what's ahead. Anyone who wants to come with me, Jesus taught, will have to be growing and changing to stand out. Sanctification. Now, I want you to come back for a moment to yourself, where we started, and to reflect again on the year behind us. 
and really put your vision on yourself, can you identify any changes in you that God has been enabling and you've been working at? Maybe being pressed together with your family, who, who are just perfect and lovely, has made you have to grow a bit in patience. Yes? And perhaps these close quarters uh, have given you the opportunity to grow in that area. So you're no longer snapping and responding like you used to, but you can see God has enabled you and you've been working at patience. Maybe that's happened for you. Or, or maybe this prolonged season of stress for you has put you in a position of beginning to make more progress than you had at controlling your automatic responses to stress. So you're not buying things like you used to to make yourself feel better or going to the refrigerator to solve that anxiety. Or, or maybe your relationship with alcohol has changed over this year as you've grown in self-control in that area. Uh, maybe this time of unparalleled division with, with racial differences and ideological differences and political differences has put you in the position of choosing not to retreat from people who are different, but instead finally opening yourself to learn. And then you've made progress in connecting with people who are on the other side. Maybe that's happened for you in this year behind you. If any of that's happened for you, you should thank God and understand that this is God's will for your life. This is exactly what God wants for you, to be changing and growing in every way. If not, if, if as I've shared, you've thought of ways where you want to change, don't be discouraged. God's will is also matched by his promise to help you in every way that you are a person in your public life and in every way of your private life as well. Jesus invites you to take up the cross and deny yourself and follow him. Now, the direction that Paul takes us next is a very personal direction. And it shows us just how far Christ's lordship is meant to extend in our lives. Here's one area where God intends for us to learn self-control and obedience as we're growing. The second half of verse three, God's will is that you abstain from fornication. Now, the Greek word here, translated fornication, is porneia. And that's the word where we receive our English word pornography from. The word goes all the way back into ancient Greece where it referred primarily to prostitution. It literally means to sell or market one person's body for the physical pleasure of another. Now, when Paul uses the word here, he's thinking more broadly than that, but with the same basic idea. Fornication refers to sexual immorality, intimate physical behavior that is not set apart or holy, but is not right, it's wrong. Now, do you know not everybody agrees about where the lines between right and wrong are? Do you know that? The subject of sexual ethics, it's one of the most divisive, not only outside of the church, but also within the community of faith. Sincere Christians who love Jesus and are striving with everything they have to follow and obey him and who are guided by scripture stand on different sides of the lines here. Now, when this subject comes up, for folks on both sides of the lines, 
just about all of us will want to take the same step mentally, and it's a step that makes it almost impossible for any of us to hear from God through Scripture. And that is the step into our own tribe with our outlook on what's right and wrong against the other tribe with their outlook about what's right and wrong. And this step that we both take has definite implications for how we listen to Scripture. So that, listen carefully now, so that hearing what the Bible says to you becomes almost impossible because you're only listening for what the Bible says to the group which is on the other side. Can you admit to this pattern yourself? I know I can. And, and trust me now, because I've been a pastor long enough to see it, folks with a traditional view tend to listen for what the Bible says in this subject area, not for themselves, but for those who are progressive. And so they say, the Bible is clear about sexual ethics. Why won't they just listen to what it says? And at the same time, folks who are progressive in this area, they'll tend to listen only for what the Bible says to people who are on the conservative side. The Bible is clear, they'll say, we're not meant to judge or reject others, but to accept and love. Why won't they listen to the Bible? And in moments like this, both sides make the same mistake. And here it is. When you listen for how the Bible's guidance applies to people on the other side, it makes it impossible for you to hear what the Bible is saying to you where you are. And that makes it hard for you to grow, which is God's will for you. Now, here's an interpretive principle that I want to lift here. It applies with this subject, but with every subject that the Bible addresses, it applies equally well. When you read the Bible... You've got to listen for God's word to you, not for other people. And this is easy sometimes, but other times it's very hard to do. In my experience, this subject is one of the hardest to do this with. But if we're going to hear from God, which is what he wants, so that we grow and change, which is what he wants, then the only way to do that is to listen to what he says to us, not to somebody else. Okay, I hope that you noticed that he says that the will of God is your sanctification, not theirs, yours. And of course it's theirs too, but that's for them. For you is to open your heart and listen to what God wants to say to you. Now the way Paul continues here makes it plain that this interpretive principle here is perfect. Okay, notice carefully how he continues. Verse four, this is God's will, that each one of you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor. Not with lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. So the guidance here, if you follow the text carefully, is for each person individually, right? He says, each one of you. That means that you have to apply this challenge to yourself. And the challenge relates to you controlling your own body, not someone else's. In holiness and in honor, he writes, that's the same word as sanctification was earlier in a manner that stands out or is noticeably different from everyone else around you. That's God's will for you and your body. How would it be different? Okay, look again. He says, not like the Gentiles who do not know God. 
When Paul wrote this in the first century, he's thinking of the typical Greco-Roman citizen's approach to this subject, how sexual ethics was handled in the first century. And in that culture, it's not hard to discover that sex was treated just like any other physical appetite. So the rules governing acceptable behavior were the same as for eating and drinking. If you're hungry, get something to eat as long as you can afford it. If you're thirsty, drink. If you want gratification, go for it. If you're tired of your wife, go to your slave. She belongs to you after all. If your husband becomes boring or is away at the war for too long or becomes sick, find a new one. Whatever your heart desires, feed it just like your stomach. That was the rule for ethics back then. Your actions should follow and satisfy your appetites. Now listen to this quote from Seneca. This is about the state of marriage in the first century. No woman need blush to break off her marriage since most illustrious ladies have adopted the practice of reckoning the year not by who's in office, but by the name of their husband. They divorce in order to remarry, and they marry in order to divorce. A new one every year. Now this was the ethical norm in Thessalonica. That's the environment that Paul's writing to. An environment where everyone decided what to do with their bodies based on their lusts and passions. Does it sound familiar to the general outlook in our culture? In some quarters, yes. Now the outcome of this view was very definite. And the simplest way to describe it is dehumanizing. Obviously for those who were poor and routinely the objects of abuse, but also it was dehumanizing for the powerful who followed their every impulse into action, who practiced self-indulgence rather than self-denial. For them too, the outcome was dehumanizing because the truth is you cannot objectify another person without harming them and without wounding your own soul. And God cares about every person's soul and every person's body. And God's will for you and for me is to walk differently in a way that stands out. Listen carefully, okay? Set aside God's will for that other person. Don't think about them. But for you, personally, it's that your body would be used in a way that stands out and that is set apart. And that means a question for each one of us. And, and we should put these questions to ourselves. They're very private questions. They are. But God means to be the Lord of every part of you, and he wants us to ask these questions of ourselves. Here's the first one. Do my passions and lusts lead me to behaviors that dehumanize or use other people? Or am I guided instead by Jesus? who teaches me that I should deny myself so I can truly love the people that are around me. Truly. Not for my sake and what I'm hungry for, but for their sake. Treating them as beloved subjects rather than objects. Now Paul adds a striking statement next, which makes it clear that this challenge we're facing to grow 
is grounded in one thing only, God's love for everyone. This is very, very important. It's so easy to misunderstand the guidance that scripture gives in areas like this because we might have been conditioned to expect that this is control that's meant to take away some kind of pleasure or benefit from me, but God's not like that at all for anyone. God loves us more than we know. And every bit of guidance, every way that Jesus wants us to practice self-denial and take up a cross and follow him is for our own good and for the good of people around us. It's only because he loves us. And that's clear in in what Paul says next here. Look carefully at verse 6. This is why God wants us to exert self-control on our bodies. So that, look, that no one wrong or exploit a brother or sister in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, just as we have already told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Okay, that word wrong up there in Greek is pleonektas. It means, literally, to forge ahead at the expense of others in order to possess something. It's like when you're greedy for something and you'll do whatever it takes to get it. That's the word. Exploit here is the compound word, huperbeno. It's made from the word go or walk, pushed together with the preposition over. Huperbeno literally means to walk over. In certain kinds of relationships, It's like one person walks all over the other, greedy to get something for themselves, and that's the heart of what makes it wrong. When your passion and your lust turn a person who God loves into an object for you to use, whenever that happens, God is not pleased. And notice how Paul describes God's reaction, because this reveals something about God's character. Look again, the Lord is, he says, an avenger in all these things. The avenger is not the same as the person who wants revenge. At first reading, for me, my mind turned it into God will take revenge. Revenge is what you do to another person who harmed you to get back at them. God is not like that at all. The avenger is a person whose anger is aroused when someone they love is harmed by someone else. And here you're meant to envision God as an avenger whose tender heart for all people wants everyone to be protected so that when someone is harmed by another person, that's when God gets upset because of how much he loves each and every one of us. Everyone without exception is a subject, not an object, whom God loves so that whenever they're harmed by being objectified, and again, don't think of somebody else, Let your eyes fall on yourself now. That is what awakens that sense of anger within God when we turn people into things. And that's why God's will is for each one of us in our minds, in our bodies, to abstain from the wrong way. God's care for our well-being and the well-being of all people is what puts boundaries around how we use our bodies. And this is God's will for you. Not Paul's will for you. It's not the church's will for you. It's not any religious leader's will for you. But 
According to Paul, this is God's call for each and every one of us. Listen to how the section ends. He makes it plain. This is verse seven. For God did not call us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever rejects this rejects not human authority, but God, who also gives his Holy Spirit to you. Friends, it is God who is calling us to walk in a new way, on a path that is set apart. And it is God who promises to give you the help that you need to walk that path. Here's where you should think back on this year, and if this area controlling your body has been a problem or any other area has been a problem for you, this is when you should look back and take it to heart that God is calling you even now to walk in a new way, and his promise is that he will walk with you every step of the way to help you walk in a manner that you couldn't otherwise. Jesus says, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. God promises to walk with you to carry the cross that you must bear, helping you with the weight that is too much for you to carry. That's what it means at the end there, where he says very plainly that he also gives his Holy Spirit to you. That's the promise of God's presence to help you. So, no more looking back. Take a moment now instead to look at where you are in the present and to look forward. And this is the question that you should put to yourself. Right now where I am, how do I need to grow? Where do I need to learn to deny myself? Where am I conforming rather than standing out? How do I need to change in order to love in the right way? Where do I need to take a step to stand apart? And whatever God shows you as you turn your eyes on yourself, whatever that is, trust God to help you and then take that step. And then go on growing. Let's ask for God's help now. Join me in prayer. God, we thank you for the way that Paul teaches us to go on growing through this letter that he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. God, in the year behind us, no doubt many of us will see missteps on our own part where we need to change. And what we're asking for now is very simply to experience the reality of the promise that you make here through your word, that your Holy Spirit will be given to us so that we can make progress on the path that you're calling us to walk on. God, we love you and we thank you that you are a God of grace and mercy. We pray that we would set aside how others need to grow and change and open our hearts to how you are inviting us even now to become folks whose lives reflect the gospel as we stand out in the way that you want us to in the world where you've placed us. Enable us to do the work that you're calling us to so that we grow and so that your will for us, our sanctification, becomes more and more of a reality in us. And then we ask simply that you use us to be folks who bless this world around us, which needs your blessing so desperately now. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.